This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. I'm here with our friends, Anne and Ross, and I have a special guest joining me tonight, Dr. Alex Stein. Um, Alex is a social psychologist who specializes in cults and extremist totalitarian groups. And she's the author of two books, both of which are an interesting read. The first one is called Inside Out, which is a story of her own experience of um, being in a cult and leaving. And the second one is entitled Terror, Love and Brainwashing, Attachment in Cults and Totalitarian Systems, which is a very interesting book to read in which she describes the mental processes one goes through when you leave a very um, extremist totalitarian group. So we're hoping to explore that a little bit tonight, Alex. But first, perhaps you could just give us a background about how you got involved in the cult and how you came to leave. Okay. Um, So I always start with my family background, which was I came from a family that was very, well, very active and interested in sort of social justice issues. My dad was South African and both my parents were involved somewhat in the anti-apartheid movement. And my mum came from a very left-wing background of a couple of generations. So I grew up in that kind of atmosphere. And I, the reason I explain that is because the kind of cult I got into was therefore a political cult. And, you know, I was fourth-generation atheist. So, yeah. you know, there was it was going to be a very hard sell to get me into a religious cult. You know, I just didn't have that in my background or my culture at all. But I did have this kind of drive to try to engage in social justice activity to make the world a better place. And as a young person, I still have that drive, I should say. Um, as I'm sh- anyway, um, anyway, long story. I did various not too bad things in community organizing as a young person, but then a cert- and I'd done a bit of union organizing. And at that point, I was living in California for. That's another long story. Mm. And I met through my friend who was union organizing elsewhere. I met this really nice guy who was doing union organizing with my friend. And that he was really kind of skilled at organizing. And I was very impressed. And I kept saying, where did you learn how to do this? He kind of wouldn't tell me. But I'm a persistent character. And mm. I kept after him. And eventually, again, a very long story, it turned out he had left this sort of secretive group that was based in Minnesota in the Midwest, in the middle of the country. Hmm. And interestingly, he left because he wanted to come out as gay, but he felt he couldn't do that in the group. Now, I don't think I knew that at the time, but that would have been a little red flag to me because I was always friendly with you know the gay community and all kinds of Mm. things anyway but through him through that connection via a friend and appealing to my interests that this group was doing all the kinds of organizing i was interested in and particularly organizing working women which i was particularly interested in i slowly over a period of a couple of years got involved in this group and then Mm. was invited out to go to Minneapolis and 
had a kind of always at the beginning felt there was something a bit funny and wrong about it. I had a but whenever I'd bring up sort of a question, I think we all know how that goes. You know, you get a question and they find a way to around it. Um, cold de sac answer. <laughs> what's that? You get a cold de sac answer. Yeah, yeah. You can't go anywhere with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And gradually my whole life got involved in this, including being sort of more or less in a semi-arranged relationship and a rather quick marriage and being told to have children and oh, all this stuff. Mm. And I fast forward 10 years because <laughs> it's mm. a long story. So um, as all of ours are, I think, aren't they? Mm. Um, yes. During which I would say mostly... First of all, I was worked to death. I mean, we had our regular day jobs and then we would come back. Like I would had various day jobs, but I'd come back from them, you know, five o'clock, um, try to maybe get a little nap, change my clothes and go to the group bakery and work mm. evening shift. But, you know, a full eight hour other shift. And then you would mm. do your laundry and your shopping at mid, oh, well, midnight, 2 a.m., and that was like that for years. I mean, a bit mm. changed when we had children. Um, mm. But but other people who had children earlier than I did still had that kind of schedule, and the kids were in daycare and night care mm. uh, of a very low quality, I might add, that the group provided. Um, out of interest, with what you know now from your studies of controlling groups is keeping their members too busy part of that control mechanism and in asking this i'm thinking of in the brethren a lot we know now that a lot of the women have to give up their time voluntarily to work in their schools or in their in their shop um they have to entertain so they're i mean i think anna would attest as to being a woman in the brethren you just have no time to even think and you're exhausted. Is that part of the subconscious control mechanism, do you think? I think it's conscious. I don't even think it's subconscious. It's conscious. I think it's entirely yeah. conscious. And I can tell you the, how I finally got out, you know, was because, um, anyway, the leader landed up in prison. Turned out he, right. uh, he killed someone. Anyway, mm. it's a story. Um, yes. And he landed up in prison, not for long enough. And also before he went to prison, he kind of fled the state. So he was less available to be a useful leader. So mm. things kind of loosened up for a, a few years. Mm. Now, that meant we had a bit more free time. Well, that's, you know, if you're a cult leader, don't let that happen. That's really a bad move because mm. people then can do a couple things. They can think. Mm. They can relax. They can possibly find a little time to talk to each other. And that's yeah. what happened to me. I ended up talk, you know, going for walks with a comrade from the group, which we wouldn't have ever been allowed to in the when it was full on. Mm. And over the time of us going for walks, we slowly start building up a little bit of trust, like testing each other. Can I say this about the group? Or is she going to turn me in? You know? Mm, yeah. And then finally she kind of said, I think there's power problems in the group. And I just went, yeah. 
And how did that feel when you realised you had somebody who was perhaps thinking along the same lines as you after all those years? It was incredible. I think I just burst into tears. Yeah. We were at the YMCA. They had a track because this was in Minneapolis where in the winter it's so cold and icy you can't go for a walk. So you walk right. around the gym. Yeah, okay, yeah. On that track. And I remember it so vividly. It was just a really, you know, one of those moments you never forget with all mm. these, women, these women in the middle of the studio doing their aerobics, you know, and then me more just crying because I could finally allow myself to verbalize mm. everything that I knew in my head was wrong but mm. i had no place to express it not even really to myself until yeah. till there was someone as a reflection it was really powerful yeah i think, that, I think sorry i think that is one of the hardest things not being able to talk to somebody yeah and you know uh, yeah for myself i yeah. would say and anybody that's listening inside the brethren do trust us trust us yeah. if you feel like you can talk because mm. i didn't even trust the ex-brethren community and i think it's really good that you're on here alex because probably people would trust you mm. people in the brethren would trust you more than they would us yeah um, and I should say people can, you know, if anyone does want to talk to me, come to my website and send me a little email. You know, I'd be happy to talk to people and be completely confidential. I'm not trying to get business or anything. I'm just saying if you want an ear, I'm happy to be that, you know, because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to not yeah. not be able to talk to anyone because – because the stakes are really high, aren't they? If you talk to the wrong person, then mm -hmm. that ended up happening towards the end where we were finally getting out, me and this woman and her husband, we all sort of decided to get out together. And before we got out, we wanted to talk to some of the others to kind of tell them what we were thinking and let them have an opportunity. And we got through a few people and then one of the people who, by the way, finally got out is now one of my best friends but she yeah. turned us into the leadership she shopped us yeah and then as soon yeah. as she did that you know the wall came down and we couldn't talk to anyone then that was it mm. which mm. was bad enough for us but if it's a situation where you were born or brought up in it your whole that means as you well know i don't have to say this to you you can't talk to anybody in your whole family and that's no. so the stakes are really high yeah so that makes it really hard to share a doubt with someone who's inside unless you're absolutely sure of them and then they yeah. can't share with you because they're having the same feeling yeah and i think you're right Anne. i think um people inside if they can reach out somewhere where they feel comfortable it could be good for them um, I know from myself, Alex is very approachable, but Alex, you also have, um, you, uh, perhaps a good time to mention you're a trustee of the Family Survival Trust who do a lot yeah. um, to help ex, not just brethren, but all ex-members that have had to fight their way out of totalitarian groups, whether they were born into it or whether they elected to join it for whatever reasons. Um, and I know you do some very good work supporting them and also providing information on these types of control and educating the authorities yeah. and so on. And I would say to any Brethren member, this is a group 
where it's not a load of what you might be worried about, a bitter ex-brethren. These are people that have experienced similar control and have had to break free. And the behaviour patterns are the same, aren't they, regardless of the group? Absolutely. And it also can be helpful to go on really any website that talks about these kinds yeah. of controlling groups yeah. or even a controlling relationship like the coercive control guidelines. Yeah. And just look at the list of behaviours. Like that's what happened. So when I got out, I was really lucky because quite soon after I ran into in in Minnesota a, a support group and mm. had a little announcement in a newspaper that just said combating cult mind control, free minds. And I didn't and I went, I wonder if my group was a cult. I'd never thought of it before. I just <laughs> thought it was like a power there were power problems so i called up the number back and this was all before the internet yes. and they sent me a little packet of information like with definitions and like lists of these kind of behaviors they are people mm. are isolated and people are made busy all the time and people are mm. you know criticized all the time and there's fear and there's one you know the leadership knows absolutely everything and i can't you know there's a whole bunch of things and I just went down that list and went tick, 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 tick. And, yeah. you know, my group was political, so people didn't think back then, 30-plus years ago, that you would have a political cult. That just wasn't mm. really a thing. Now we yeah. think about it a bit more. And that can be just really helpful to, you know, just take a little cruise around the internet looking for some definitions yeah. and have a think. Yeah. Is this what happens here? And unfortunately. So I'd say, unfortunately for Brethren members, their internet access is very restricted. Yeah. But we've often said on these podcasts, there, there is no law, no reason in the world why you can't go to a supermarket and buy yourself a pay-as-you-go phone that gives you free internet access. Um, they'd have to keep it hidden and just start exploring, start finding out um, and be open-minded about it um, to try and educate yourself about how these groups work. Yeah. Um, and you know libraries often have free internet yes. access you know oh, that's a good point i was going to say that because actually um like i was saying to you jackie and ross i was at a mm. expert speaker course and um my topic was um escaping fear and finding freedom yeah and, uh, yeah i one of the things i spoke about in how i got that freedom was research mm -hmm. and it was to the library because i couldn't do it any other way but i went to the library went on youtube and watched videos of i didn't know if i was in a cult but i thought i'd watch things like the amish and yeah that's what i want yeah. and then you know i secretly read books yeah people that had left strangely and and also it's like i was saying er earlier i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't look at any documentaries of any brethren who had left yeah mm. But I would look at any others. <laughs> I wouldn't read a book that had been written by an yeah. ex-brother because they were so labelled as as wrong. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, I would just say, do watch those YouTube videos. Do read those books because it is research is so important. Definitely. Yeah, I, I did the same. I I used to go to the library to research what was, you know, what I thought was going on really, and try and get more information. Mm. And yeah. that's, that's the thing because you don't have that information when you're inside. You know, I mm. didn't 
know this guy had killed somebody. I didn't know he had been in prison. There was all kinds of things I didn't know. I didn't know other people's experience, that some people there'd been violence towards them because there wasn't towards me. But And mm. I didn't know about the sexual abuse of many of the women because I hadn't personally experienced that. That I found out all later and how some of the children's lives were. I didn't know any of that, you know, because mm. I think when you're in these kind of groups, you just see your little world because that's how it's structured, you know. But the nice thing about, uh, Jackie, you know, you mentioned the charity that I work with. Yes. Survival Trust, because there's a real power, and I'm not saying people have to go to a support group, but I was lucky and I got, I was in one in Minnesota when I first got out, and we do that online now here. And mm. the power of it, which I think, Jackie, you kind of alluded to, is that you yeah. have all these people from totally different groups. Yeah. You know, yeah. Christian, Hindu, political, uh, personal growth, yeah. yoga, anything you can imagine. And yeah. they're not from a group like yours. No. But everything they're saying, you kind of go, oh, yeah, they did mm. that to me. Yeah, mm. we couldn't sleep more than six hours in our mm. group or... You know, yeah, I couldn't talk to anyone outside the group or, mm. yeah, I never knew my grandparents because they weren't in the group. Oh, sorry, mm. that was a bit close to home. I wasn't even thinking of you, Anne. But, no, no, no. But that sorry. is an example <laughs> yeah. because I've heard that from other people, you know. Yeah. And you kind of start seeing these patterns of control because yeah. something about seeing it, like I think it is a bit what Anne was saying too, it's too difficult and complicated to look at your own group sometimes. But if you're hearing mm. it from these other groups, it becomes really crystal clear quite quickly yes. what those patterns are. Um, yeah. So it's really helpful. And you don't have to go to a group. You can read all these. There's these marvelous memoirs that people have written about their experiences and mm. some of these um, TV programs and videos and stuff. You know, it's... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of info out there. When you joined the group you joined, you obviously took the decision to join and I, I I understand the circumstance which was taken but as you went on and got deeper into the work of the group what was the impact on your personal life and your extended family and so on at that point well, it was very severe you know mm -hmm. first of all I was more I was told to get into a relationship with someone in the group and <laughs> I had a I had a boyfriend who it was a sort of new relationship, so it wasn't that tight a relationship outside the group. I was told to get rid of him, which I did. Mm. Um, I was told to get with someone in the group, which I did. Mm. We were quickly told to get married, which I was a kind of slightly wild feminist. I marriage was not really in my head, you know. <laughs> But I kind of did it because somehow the way it was put, this was important for my development. That was always a thing. It's all good for your development. Right. And so that was going on. Then we, in our group, we were very secret. We were sort of underground. But that was, in a way, just a control thing because it meant my parents didn't know where I was. Mm. They had a post office box where they could send me letters. Now, my family is pretty screwed up, to be perfectly honest. But <laughs> that's not why I joined a cult. That's the sort of other problem. Yeah. But they loved me. They, you know, they didn't deserve not to have know where I was. And they mm. didn't have a 
for, for some years they didn't have a phone number for me i mean it was horrible mm. um, you know i had friends back in san francisco where i'd lived before and i just kind of dumped them mm. and only one of those friends who's now my friend again <laughs> since i got mm. out said why are you going to why are you moving to minnesota she couldn't understand and she could smell that there was something wrong mm. and she sort of tried to warn me but mm. you know i was on a mission to save the world and also i couldn't talk to anyone because i was told this was secret so it's not yeah. like I say to her well i'm in this group and let me explain how the group works yeah because that was like the biggest rule that was the thing mm. that really you're breaking security Mm. if you mm. talk so the only people i could talk to were in the group and they were the ones who were going to say yes this is good for your development yeah even though that many of them were very nice decent people they were just as trapped as i became you know yeah well we often say that about people in the take them out they're very nice decent people but yeah. they're completely tunnel vision and completely trapped yeah. and you mentioned something else there about the secrecy and the security which in my not so well schooled thought processes is a feature of a totalitarian group the brethren are very paranoid about security aren't they i mean we know the leader travels with you know bodyguards and won't be photographed the usual thing that perhaps somebody clear-minded would associate with a cult is again that a feature this sort of another example i'll use from the brethren they're very paranoid about what has been said in their meetings getting out mm -hmm. um and yet their meetings are held in a place of public religious worship so it's sort of a bit of a, a paradox but there you go but they are very paranoid and we've heard that if an outsider does attend a meeting is allowed to the narrative is changed to so that what is normally said is doesn't get out is again that a classic yes. feature that is common to cults yes so the way i would describe that well first of all the secrecy is another way of isolating you right so yeah. it's, you yeah. can't you know you can't talk frankly with someone outside the group and i know the brethren have a lot of very clever ways of isolating people i mean i'm always oh, yeah. <laughs> impressed by the whole food and drink thing it's just yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, it's quite unique i think <laughs> it is. well the brahma kumaris actually they're uh, oh, really sort of, okay now women woman-led hindu cult you can only eat food that's been prepared by the special person and okay. so that means uh, you know you can take food with you for like a day yeah but yeah that just totally restricts you right yeah, um, yeah. So it has the same net outcome as the brethren yeah. thou shalt not eat with somebody not in your church can <laughs> yeah yeah um but anyway the secrecy so what you see in cults in terms of the belief systems mm. is there's two different which i call the ideology you get two different kinds which kind of reflects the structure so in a cult it's like layers of an onion and in the middle mm. you have the leader and then you have the really tight people around the leader mm. um, and then you have maybe sort of another layer of lieutenants who sort of run things and then mm. you may have depending how big the cult is is kind of how many layers you might have then you have kind mm. of your common or garden members who are full members then you might have on the outside and I don't know what you well you can tell me what the exclusive brethren mm. have. you have um 
well, what I call front groups. So like mm. we ran a bakery that had regular people working in it as well as help members and regular people got sold our bread. Yeah. So that's the kind of so that's the bit that faces out to the public, so to speak. I suppose that would be the rapid relief team, wouldn't it, Anna oh, Ross? Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I suppose Sorry, both, also yeah. brethren businesses as well. Because yeah. obviously yes. when you're in there you have to work for brethren, but obviously they're selling to the general public. Right. So yeah. my heroine is this thinker German Jewish woman who is no longer with us, but Hannah Arendt. And she talked about those front groups are transmission belts between the inside world and the outside world. Mm. And they bring resources in, money mm. and maybe new recruits. I know you don't do much in the way of recruits, but a lot of mm. cults do. Mm. Um, and what goes out is, if I'm, is kind of propaganda. That is like the nice version of what mm. they, so that's the nice bit that they you just described jackie that yeah. they tell an outsider it's the kind of sanitized version yeah. mm. so that you always have those kind of two narratives the mm. propaganda that goes out to the public and mm. then inside you've got a different form which is she calls indoctrination mm. which is the crazy stuff like mm. you shall not share your you can't have a house that is attached to anyone else's because mm. i don't know what the because is but you know what it is um well, maybe you do actually <laughs> <laughs> maybe you don't <laughs> no, yeah uh, yeah that's a little bit uh, no, yeah you're right the, the rules that are, that are crazy on the face of it but are accepted as that's the way it is right yeah mm. but uh, you're not going to tell someone outside that because they're going to think you're crazy yeah and the, yeah. i mean it's not only houses it was you couldn't have your drains attached either yeah uh, you don't want your drainage to mix do you <laughs> well that seemed to be what it was all about um <laughs> yeah yeah and you know scientology's have got i always use scientology as an example of that so you know if you go by their mm. stupid places that they have and they say fill out you know come in and fill out this personality quiz and then they tell you that you know which you know a lot of people like personality quizzes right they're kind of fun to do and they'll mm. tell you well you're depressed or you're anxious or whatever they tell you but whatever it is the cure is Scientology obviously yes but that's yeah. what you get on the outside what you don't get till you're quite far inside those circles is the crazy stuff which is that, you know, there was this volcano that shot out alien somethings and they've inhabited your body. And mm. you have to do all this Scientology stuff to get out, get them out of your body. Mm. You can't tell that to someone on the pavement in Good Street because mm. they're going to run in the other direction. You have to get warm people up to that over a period of time. Yeah. Um, so that's that two different kinds of He's way of belief system are portrayed, so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting because, I, I mean, in the instance of the Brethren, um, as, you, as you rightly say, they rarely recruit. So we were all brought up with those crazy ideas as our normal, which yeah. was quite difficult to then undo because you'd not known anything different. Um, and I think that's part of the problem people face when they... Um, 
leave is just trying to undo what has been their normal for X number of years. And it's interesting too, the um, front, and, and I will just quote this because I think it's appropriate to do so. There's an article gone out recently done by Lindy Jacob on the Mail Online. And obviously the brethren are always given a right to reply. Yeah. And often their right to reply is the same standard sentences. I think Anne and I have done articles and, and the, the, the reply has been the same, isn't it? You know, in my case, it's always I left many years ago and things have changed and they don't know what's going on. But in this particular article, one of their um, rebuttals was the PBCC, which, of course, they call themselves the Plymouth Bethan Christian Church now, deny that former members were banned from seeing family once they'd left saying, quote, they are not. The church would never stand in the way of families communicating with each other. And I feel half inclined to say to everybody outside, send that to your family in and say, hey, look, you can you can have a talk to us and see what happens. Um, but that's what I mean about the fuzzy outside. And yet most of us as ex-brethren would just feel like saying that's just simply not true. I mean, Anne and Ross, you've got more recent experiences of <laughs> than I have. Yeah. But that's what they say in rebuttals. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I try not to let that m make me angry. But yeah, when I read that today, I'm afraid I did feel some anger, you know, because, yeah, there's, there's one thing, you know, families breaking up for personal reasons. Mm. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it would almost be easier if it was that reason for me. Um. Mm. But every time I see a message like that, I go back to my youngest son and, and the messages that were fil filtered to me um, mm. through a more recent lever. And his words were, I love her and I know she loves me. It was just torn. I didn't want to leave her, but she was against Mr. Hales. If you're saying that the church isn't stopping mm. contact with my son, what, what is yeah. that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I want to, you know, all cults do that. You know, I think that was something mm -hmm. when I was doing my research that really came through. It's not just some cults that cut off and destroy people's families. No. Yeah. It's all cults. Mm. And they do it because if they don't do it, people can find a way out. Yeah. 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 Break, because we have strong feelings about our family. We love, like he said, you know, we love the people in our family. Mm. And so it's a very strong pull. And that's why that word attachment is in my title of my book that Jackie mentioned. Mm. They systematically break down people's strong loving attachments with other people whether whether you're in the cult where they do it as well in a different way mm. or whether it's with people outside the cult and it's just a total pattern in cults because if they didn't do that they in a way you couldn't have a cult because people would put their families and their loved ones first but in a cult you can't do that you have to put yeah. The leadership first yeah. and i found it comes with um conditions as well like i have spoken to my mum a few times the um last conversation i had um i needed help practically uh before i left she said one of the last things she said to me was if you are ever in dire straits ring us um so i did mm. and the answer was well if you come back there'll be help 
And yeah. yet, you know, there's no help unless I go back. Yeah. So there's always a condition attached yeah. to, you know, what they tell, what they say, what they say and what they do are two different things. You know, and that's why I stayed in my group so long because I got mm. married off quickly. And that's why they married people off quickly. Mm. And I, you know, we cared about each other, my husband and I. You know, it was a, mm. you know, we had feelings for each other. And so to leave, even though I want to leave after a year, and actually I did leave after a year for a few months, well, of course, he wasn't allowed to speak to me. Mm. And mm. I missed him. And I didn't really know anyone who wasn't in the cult in Minnesota. And I didn't understand it was a cult. I just, my head was just spinning around. I just didn't know what was what. Mm. And I went back. And mm. then he was allowed to see me. And he came and mm. met me with a bunch of flowers. It's you know, exactly the same tactics, isn't it? Mm. Totally. I spent another nine years. And just one other thing about my husband, my now ex-husband, mm. um, <laughs> um, is when I left and I tried to talk to him and say you know it, like i was trying to help him get out too because i still mm. cared about him and i can't quite remember if it was a email or if he said it to me anyway but he said he refused to come out and then i wanted to nonetheless keep the marriage going i because i thought well i still care about him and maybe mm. work itself out and he said no because you've betrayed the very basis of our relationship. Which I think, again, you all can relate to that kind of. Yeah. 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 Well, and that I, would be. Bit, yeah. Yeah. I imagine drawing parallels with perhaps what the brethren might say about that. The same tactic is when you get a husband and a wife and one partner wants to leave and whichever one is staying is saying, I would rather stay in Mr. Hales's fellowship than come out with you, which is what happens, isn't it? Which is a similar thing. It's it's betrayal of the 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 thought processes of the cult, um, and it might be the ideology, I suppose, or it might be the person, the leader, depending yeah, on. Yeah, what well, I remember when I was getting married, what we were told was we had to be married to the assembly before we could get married. And that's what Jehovah's Witnesses do as well. They say there's, I can't remember the wording, but it's something like there's three, it's a braid of three in this marriage, you know, the husband's yes. wife and yes. Jehovah or whatever. Or the, yes. And it's, and it's true. I think they say that it's true. And the same thing, there was a really good scholar of cults called Margaret Singer, and she talked about a lot about parents and children in cults. And she said, there's a third party in the relationship between parents and children in a cult. Mm. Which I, and that's a nice, simple way of putting what it is. You know, that mm. the parent isn't just dealing with the child as they want. Um, mm. They're always having to consider, you know, what's the correct way. Yeah. yeah. And the approved way. <laughs> Sorry, Anne, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, for example, my youngest, he, he had to choose the leader over me. Yeah. Yeah, he had to make that choice. So, and thinking about, and I, my days have been in the Bretton a long time, obviously, Anson Ross is far more recent. But thinking about that, um, what it might do to a person mentally in their mental well-being. So if you're in this kind of totalitarian group 
and there's a bit of you that's having well that doesn't quite add up that that doesn't seem quite right or this that's not sitting quite comfortably but then obviously in order to survive and i think a lot of brethren members do this you have to quash that thought mm-hmm. are you able to sort of touch on what that could do to somebody's mental well-being on if you're doing that on an ongoing basis Hmm. Well, just trying to think back also to my own experience. I mean, yes. I definitely quashed. You know, I had a lot of doubts all yeah. the way through. And I I think the way I experienced it was just pushing them to the back of the brain, kind mm. of. It's like they're there, but you're not going to let them come into your consciousness. Yes. Mm. And I, so, and all cults, again, somehow teach you not to think about your own experience with your own mind yeah. it's like let yeah. the group tell you what your experience is because you're not yeah. clever enough or devout enough or whatever it is so mm. about your daily experience in the group you lose your ability to think about what's happening and your perception mm. and what you're do- getting instead is just lies you're getting this fiction telling mm. you what's happening like mm. yeah I, I mean that sort of like just comes to mind um the uh, bdh is that's the man at the top his mantra is uh, uh, we'll do the thinking you do the doing exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly. that sums it up <laughs> yeah so you're really conditioned mostly by fear i would say Mm. not to stop and think actually this is what's happening in my life and actually i'm not really happy here and actually i think maybe there's some abuse going on and etc etc you know actually use your critical thinking you might be able to critically think about say your day job if the if you have a job outside the group or Mm. everyone does so there may be areas where you can think critically but you can't think critically about anything to do with the group because that, you've been told you can't, just what you said you can't you've been told not to and also if you do think about it you're going to have doubts but you know you shouldn't have doubts and so that's frightening to have doubts so it's frightening to even think about the doubts if you see what i mean hmm. you push it yeah. away so that yeah because you're sort of separating your thinking from your feelings so they can tell you what you're feeling and thinking we call that dissociation mm. in the world of psychology so you're mm. a little bit like rabbit in the headlights like i'll just put one foot in front of the other every day and not think too hard about yeah. it because i can't think because it's too frightening to think mm. it's a bit hard to explain but i'm doing my best i think we can all empathize actually <laughs> i i think anybody who's left such a group can empathize with that i mean as i say it was a long time but i certainly had two years when i felt exactly like that mm. and that sort of hang on a minute that or don't even think like that it's because you're not right it's because you're not committed enough it's you that's at fault not oh, not and maybe any you're group. going you're going to go to hell or oh yeah you'll be yeah. punished in some way or you'll become a drug addict or a prostitute yeah. that was you know yeah. they'll also tell you if you leave they're very clear messages of what's going to happen if you leave these are yes they're fearsome messages yeah very fearful messages um 
yeah, I, I know of somebody that was told within a couple of years they would end up um, destitute and come groveling back. And that's the language that's used, which, yeah. of course, is going to make you fearful. You don't know what if you've never been inside the world, you don't know what the world holds out there. It's hugely scary. So so when you left, Alex, um, the political cult you were in, mm-hmm. how did that affect? I mean, how did you readjust? Because it, it'd be slightly different in that you had had, what, 20 years or sort of a relatively outsider controlling uh, environment. A, yeah, I had a, I grew up in a previous life. I had a previous Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But just tagging on to what we were just saying, I, I always think people who leave cults are very, very, very brave. Yes. Because to leave, you have to kind of, the way I envisage it, you have to kind of walk through the sort of wall of fear. Mm. And you've got this fear we just talked about, which is just sort of often nameless. You don't even know what it is. You just mm. know that you feel frightened. Mm. And I, yeah. And then you've got the fear of, are they going to come after me? And mm. Which I thought this guy was going to come and kill me. You know, I mean, he wasn't, but that's how I felt. Mm. Yeah. And the fear of how are you going to survive on the outside world? Yeah. So, you know, you've got a lot of fear that you have to yeah. kind of have a kind of leap, I hate to use this expression, but a leap of faith yes. into the unknown. You can, I, I always say it's like walking off the edge of the known world into this yes. world. Yeah, and hoping there's a mattress at the bottom. Exactly, (laughs) hoping you're going to land somewhere. (laughs) Yes. And like you said, Jackie, that was me who had a whole life beforehand. And And you'd have the same feelings. Yeah. So I think we're all very, very brave to start with. Yeah. And when I got out, again, I think I was lucky because I got out with two other people. So we kind of supported each other in a slightly dysfunctional way. But mm. we were a bit together and then later that year other people came out and mm. we really did talk a lot we kind mm. of would i know brethren drink but we didn't drink so we <laughs> would have slightly drunken evenings yeah. um, where we would just all tell these stories about what had happened that we didn't like i said in the beginning we didn't know each other's experience mm. and all this stuff came tumbling out and that was kind of fun and i felt a lot of joy coming out because like it's like the cover of my first book it was like going from this gray world into the world of color and yes so even though it was the most frightening thing i've ever done coming out and it was really difficult in all kind of ways and also i had periods of depression and a lot of anxiety and grief and anger but there was also a lot of beauty and joy um, yeah, I remember the spring. I came out in spring, and spring in Minneapolis is really beautiful. You get all the lilac, and I just was like, I've lived here for like ten years, and I never noticed the lilac. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were too absorbed. Oh, time. <laughs> time to look at the lilac. Yeah, I was like, you actually had a minute to stop and enjoy it for the first yeah. time in ten years. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of intense, intense emotion of all kinds. Yeah. They've got a word for it, which is sometimes you get a bit flooded with emotion. I don't know if that yeah. was any of your experience when you come out. Because mm. in, the, in the group, in a way, either you have I'm supposed to have a lot of emotion about a very specific thing, but you kind of don't have your own emotions in a funny yes. way. So yeah. it's quite powerful to have them, I get, have them. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's right. I mean, and gosh, you can say what you're, but I, I remember my overriding emotion when I came out, apart from all the fear and the, but I was fortunate enough to work in a non-brethren um, workplace. We could do so back then. They can't now, but I could. And I worked with um, girls my own age. And my overriding emotion was how kind these girls were when they realised what was happening. Because I've been told there weren't kind people there. There's only kindness in the brethren. Mm. And yet just in those few short while after I left and I eventually told them what was happening, the way they just accepted it and it was anything we could do to help, including taking me to a nightclub, I have to add. But they looked after me. <laughs> yeah, they did. It, it was that overwhelming kindness and their response. I don't know what Anne and Bosch you experienced. That's the emotion I remember is actually people outside were very kind. Yeah, I, I would say the same, really. I mean, when I was uh, leaving, I'd actually been, well, I'd actually been um, kicked out of the Brethren. Um, I was going down to AA meetings in London and um, I was sharing what was going on and a bloke came up to me after one of the meetings and said, look, I've got a room you can have free of charge for as long as you need it. Um, until you get back on your feet. And I was sort of like just so overwhelmed because you were taught in there that, you know, nobody out here is kind. They always want something in return. And I realised, you know, that like Jackie said, there's kind people out there and they actually don't want anything in return. Whereas in the Brethren, it's like I said earlier, um, they'll do things for you, but there's always a caveat to it. There's always, mm. yeah. So that's, that's what, that's my experience as well, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, I still get blown away by the kindness shown to me. Just when I talk to people, you know, about my story or just in mm. life. And I'll say, like Ross says, it's the unconditional love that people show you. Mm. Um, mm. The humanitarian love, just yeah. that, that's it. But just look out for you because you're a fellow human being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And that's what's so weird about relationships inside cults is that conditionality. You know, they'll mm. do things, we call it in my field, instrumental things to help you. Right. You mm. know, if you can't get to the meeting, they'll give you a ride. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, but not, yeah, just like in our my group, you couldn't just talk to someone about, oh, I'm not feeling good today and like yeah. be listening kindly like my friends do now. Mm. Yeah. I would be yeah. like, you know that's unproductive you know mm. how's that helping mm. that's exchange value they called it in my group they called it what sorry alex exchange value no exchange value <laughs> yeah. Whereas what we should have is use value which is you know yes. productive yes. Yeah, you're there with you're 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 giving to the purpose. You're giving, uh, and the tactics are exactly the same, aren't they? I mean, I think as you're yeah. speaking, it's quite interesting because you're speaking about a very different group with very different agenda. Yeah. But as you're speaking, I'm laughing because I'm just thinking same tactics, yeah. isn't it? Same your, your own little the group has its own speak almost, doesn't it? I mean, we call it peep speak, short for Plymouth Brethren speak, and there's certain phrases and terms like you say. Um, we the, call it loaded language and loaded language. language. <laughs> yes, loaded that language. Is, that's another isolating thing. So yes, one of the main things that there's three kind of main strategies that cults use. They isolate you. Yeah, they do that in three ways: from the outside world, in a way, from people in the cult, like we just talked about, because you can't share doubts. 
and also from your own internal discussion with yourself because what we also talked about you push that aside right yeah then they kind of engulf you inside the group so everything in your life is in the group you're engulfed in the group you don't have a tennis club and a political party or this or that you know it's all group all the time Mm. and then there's all these fear messages and that's really the little tricky formula of how to have a cult Um, and I think all cults do versions of that and so you get the same underlying dynamics no matter what whether it's in a religious framework or a political one or whatever kind of framework Mm. Um, yeah I'm going to go back to kind of leaving. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I got out. I was lucky to have some other people. It was a big struggle because my husband didn't get out. Mm. And he was told by the leader to try to gain full custody of our two children. You can imagine. Mm. I was going to ask if you had children at that stage. but told to have children. Yes. we adopted two beautiful, lovely children who are now mm. creating loads of grandchildren for me. Um, <laughs> and so he wasn't the kind of person who would do that of himself, try and get full custody, because we'd always shared everything 50-50. He, you know, he was mm. a 50% yeah. Mm. I was, mm. you know, we were very sharing. And anyway, and I had to kind of basically threaten the cult leader um mm. stop have that stop mm. um sorry i always dissociate when i'm telling that story because that was so heavy and stressful um, i can imagine yes so the first part of getting out was dealing with all these practical well they're not just practical they're emotional things of you know mm. children and then where i was going to live and mm. what was happened with the marriage and Mm. Uh, and we had a business together that we did really sort of for the cult. It wasn't exactly a cult business, but it was me and my husband ran it. So mm. then we had to pull that apart because he was staying in. So everything, mm. again, I'm sure I'm telling you what hap- you, you kind of know in a way, but it's that pulling apart of all the fabric of your life, mm. which is extremely difficult. But on the other hand, it like I say, I had freedom and I had, you know, I was starting, I found old friends and I mm. connected back with my sister who I adore mm. in a proper way. And mm. so I don't want to say it's easy because it's not easy, it's difficult. Yeah. But then you, so, but once you've kind of done that, and then you have all these emotions like all the lost years, and then how do I know what's true and what's not true? And you have to like rebuild mm. a belief system. Mm. Mm and untangle what I call the fiction of the belief system in the group. Mm. And you have to kind of think, or at least, yeah, I do think, well, I do, and also I encourage other people to go back over their experience and think about it again with their own mind as opposed to mm. what they were told their experience was. So mm. good cult recovery therapy, which is hard to find, can be a way to help do that but you can also do that just by talking to other people who understand and who are mental anyway so there's that phase and then you have then you're reconnecting with life and you're discovering in a way who you are Mm. you try different things and you discover well i like life drawing and i like writing but i don't like 
belly dancing or you know whatever the different <laughs> things you try yeah there's this kind of whole phase of i think exploration yeah if you have the ability and the resources to do that because yeah. you know that's the tricky thing you know i truly believe people getting out of cult should have access to refuges like people getting out of domestically mm. abuse abuse yeah. relationships but we don't. I mean, what we've sometimes noticed with people that leave the brethren they've obviously had everything denied to them all their life and one of the narratives that's told within the brethren is if you leave you'll go off the rails and and all that and it's sadly true that you could say some people they don't go off the rails but suddenly they've got the whole choice of what to do with life and they've had no boundaries set all their life they've had no boundaries set so i think i would say to somebody that leaves if you hear somebody that's gone off the rails doing something wicked actually they are just doing exactly what you said alex exploring what they like and don't like in life and what you hope is they don't get into serious trouble with doing that that there is a, a sort of comfort zone that can just cushion them a little bit while they start to build those boundaries and they learn it's a bit like being a teenager yes it is and i yes. know the first year i got out i mean i started smoking again you know i hate smoking i know it's bad it's yes. like damn it i can smoke you yeah. know? yes <laughs> i'm going last, to <laughs> it didn't last long so i always get bronchitis when i smoke so um, but yeah i think you are testing boundaries yes. like a teenager does yeah. and you know if hopefully you have enough support and you know yeah but i think that is a natural part of getting out and it's a part and, of a process almost yeah. isn't it to redefine where you're at with life isn't it yeah and, i mean i remember when i first left you know at 44 you would think well i would have had a bit of worldly sense but i didn't have any because i had no boundaries yeah you no. know and i could have got into some really st sticky situations um, mm. I was lucky I got into a relationship with a guy who was very kind to me um, mm. at that time. But it is <laughs> it is being like a teenager. Well, I sort mm. of talk about myself. I'm, I'm only 10. I've only been in the world 10 years, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You've yet to do your teenage years, Anne. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I also want to emphasise that so many of the people I work with they, you know, they do go through this hard transition, but then so many of them go on to have such wonderful lives and make Absolutely. great contributions and yeah, and are wonderful people and have great kids and yeah, it's know, a journey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, there are some bumps to get there. You know, yeah. but absolutely, not everyone does make it. That is also true. But I think, mm. I think a lot of people do really well, um, yeah. especially if they get to find are able to find some support you know yeah. whether it's online or by reading books or whatever it is you know yeah and i think different types of support work for different people and as you mentioned earlier it's it, it's as i understand it it's very hard to find therapy that really understands the nature of how a cult controls your mind and then the unpicking of that yeah that's actually very hard to do yeah. um but sometimes i think just talking about it to people that have been there 
yeah. can help you work it through. So, you know, support groups like that, and I said, they don't have to be ex-brethren. It can be people that have had to go, like yourself, Alex, that's gone through a similar experience for very different reasons, um, can just help unpick it in your head, can't it? And people who are, have been through it or who've been through similar kinds of trauma, but maybe yeah. not like, you know, someone who's maybe been in a domestically controlling relationship. Yeah. Or yeah. And someone like a refugee, you know. Yes. Uh, when you speak to people like that, you get the non-judgmental listening. Mm. What you don't want is the people who look at you weird and go, oh, you know, or wow, yeah. that's weird. You know, you, that's not yeah. helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you desperately need to be accepted just the way yeah. you are, don't you? I think that's yeah. the key, isn't it? You, you, with all the weird backgrounds and what you 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 desperately need to just be accepted with no judgment or reaction, um, and that's sometimes hard to find, isn't it? But what we're discovering in our work, and also through the mm. media, is how common an experience this is. Yeah. When you yeah. come out, you think that you're the only one yeah but boy there's yeah. hundreds of, so of us yeah. <laughs> all over the world all the world yeah and <laughs> you mentioned something else there which i also wanted to touch on because i know shell's mentioned this in her podcast but about the coercive control mm -hmm. and the nature of that and how obviously here in the uk it's now a criminal offense if proven and i know the family survival trusts have done some work around trying to expand that law i'd be interested if you could sort of tell us about that well yeah so there's this law which i think is a very progressive law that's fairly new mm. which says if a person does all these things that we've been talking about isolates you makes you fearful controls all the small parts of your life um and they do it for their own benefit to make you you know so a perpetrator does it to somebody to basically exploit them mm. that's our criminal offense but only if that person is in a intimate or family relationship with you so if i had someone in my house who i was involved with do that to me they could potentially be in prison if they mm. were convicted but if my neighbor did it to me there's no law that covers that they could yeah. just get away with it or if my workplace does it to me or if my church does it to me so we think this is crazy and just illogical um so we've written up just an amendment to the law where we take out that phrase and we also did a big research report showing how all the elements in the guidelines that exist for that law also apply to people in cults mm. And if people are interested, they can find that on our website, which is... We we can put a link on this podcast if you're happy with that. We'll right. make sure yeah. it goes yeah. on <laughs> so people, they can find it easily. Yeah. They can see the report and they can see the law and they can see our website, which also has a support group. And we would like to campaign in a more um, systematic way, but we're very under-resourced. But we are talking about it a lot. It has made it into a few newspapers and the BBC, I think um mm. so we're just trying to get people talking about this as a first step like this mm. doesn't make sense you know mm. it's absolutely illogical that this only applies within the four walls of someone's mm. house mm. um and we're hoping to slowly generate some momentum around it and have people 
what we'd like to see is people going to their MPs and their constituency mm. and say, this was my experience, we need a law, and this is the law we think needs to get changed, mm. and do something about it. And I mm. think all write letters to the editor or write opinion pieces, but we, I feel we need to start just making some noise as a group yeah. of us yeah. um, because I think that's how you get understanding. Mm. You know, people first have to understand this is a problem because a lot of certainly politicians don't really quite yet recognize this as a problem, but we have to educate them is my view. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if I've understood it correctly, it's that obviously the law says in a close personal relationship, whatever the wording is, but um, what the thinking is, is it's a group can control. Right. And if a group is, is that, so, so in other words, a, a group, i.e. a political cult or a church, if it were law, could be prosecuted right. for taking away somebody's liberties by coercive control. Is that the sort of gist if I understood that? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then... Yeah, you have a lot of issues about who you're prosecuting because we don't have good laws in this country about prosecuting organizations. Mm. Whereas in America, they do a little bit better with that. Um, mm. That's partly what Trump's going through right now. Yeah. Um, because they have a good law on that. Because we don't want to prosecute, you know, my ex husband or whoever. It's the leadership. No. Yeah, they're mm. the ones responsible. They're the ones who have all the power and they're the ones who should be held accountable. So, you know, mm. there are some complexities here, but other countries, there are a few other countries that do have good laws. You know, France has a law that says you may not psychologically manipulate somebody for your own benefit um, mm. and sub subjugate another person mm. um, against their own interests. And then, I th and also both the law, English and the French law, I think both say the person being oppressed in the system may not be able to acknowledge that they're a victim. Yeah. It's really important for us because, of course, yeah. all of that indoctrination makes you unable to say, yeah, I don't want to be here. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're trying that's, to make use about. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's kind of, you, it, we know that in these circumstances, it will either be a leader or it will be a group or thinking of a group that kind of coerces the people, but who do you actually? Who would you actually take to court um, in Nisa? So yeah, there are things to be discussed, but it's certainly a principle, as you say, the behaviour patterns are identical to coercive control between two partners who live together, or um, you know, a parent and an adult child, for example. If the child's, it, it could happen, couldn't it? Yeah, and I think it is the leadership. I mean, first of all, I think you have to dismantle the organization. Yeah. Because it's very hard to to reform these organizations because yeah. the whole basis is mm. built on this. And then, you know, you again, you guys know, you know, when the leadership changes, things change. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And you know, it is the leader who is defining things. Mm. Um, so I think you do have to go after them. Um yeah. But but it is tricky. And then how far down do you go, you know, from yeah. the lieutenants, you know, and this goes back to the prosecution of the Nazis after the war, you know, yes. how far down the line were people responding? Yeah, it's a difficult questions, but really important ones.
Well, really important to try and prevent it happening. Basically, yeah, exactly. if we ever could, I don't know, but maybe I'm just an optimist. But yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just wanted to go back a little way, going back to the characteristics of the cult. There's something that's been on my mind. Um, is one of the characteristics that if you're like dissenting and you're um, thinking critically about the cult, is it? a characteristic that they'll use uh, medication to help make, well, basically make you docile, because we've heard of instances in the Brethren where there have been people dissenting and they've been critical thinking and they've been told, oh, you've got a, a mental problem and we'll give you yes. presence to help that. Uh, I, I, I just wondered if that's something that's common, a common characteristic or not. I'm sure there are other cults that do that. I think what's common is, and cults are creative. They do all the same things, but they do the, each cult has its own ways of doing those things. So all cults want to suppress dissent. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, some may do it with medication. Others may do it by, well, you have shutting up is another one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had a version of that you know you isolate someone within the group or in our mm. group you would have like you maybe you'd take a child away from a parent was you mm. know there's so there's a mm. lot of so the medication i think i might have heard that about that in one or two other groups i'm not they're not springing to mind so mm. i don't think it's the medication that's so universal but it's yeah. that's just mm. one creative way right. of shutting people up mm. uh, there's power and also but i think the mental illness thing is used yeah um like you must be crazy if you think we're crazy kind of thing yeah um, what's wrong with you you know and that's that do you know the expression davo which is in the domestic abuse, um arena it's a uh, trump's doing it right now mm -hmm. um it's what an abuser will say when they're accused mm -hmm. they'll, they'll deny so DAVO is D-A-R-V-O. It's, it's an acronym, yes. They'll yeah, go on. Deny, they'll attack the person who's criticizing them. They'll reverse victim and offender. So they'll make themselves the victim mm -hmm. and say that the person criticizing is the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And you can see that pattern. Um, yeah, Trump was doing that today. Yeah. In his court case. Yeah, um, yeah poor poor me leader of the group i'm the poor little victim who's being tormented yeah you know and that can really play with your sense of reality if you're on the receiving end of that can't it and i think that's part of the problem uh, i think in the brethren terms it would be you know they deny you know we're a lovely community and um, they attack it's those wicked opposers and then it's us poor vi victims with a religious minority being persecuted mm. um and it's exactly that, isn't it? And then if somebody inside is dissenting, the similar thing happens. But I believe what that person will get told, well, it, you know, it's you that's wrong. It's um, it's not us. It couldn't possibly be the group. It's you. It's you're not right with the Lord. You're not. So those sorts of things. Like when I distort. asked question, sorry. No, go on. So I can distort when your, your perception. When I was questioning in the group, because at the beginning I questioned a lot before I learned not to. Mm. You know, and I'd be told, you know, you're not developed enough yet to understand. So just struggle with the practice. Yes. Yes. Words, but 
Shut yeah. up and work hard. Get on with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk to Alex. So gaslighting, bit... what you just described, Jackie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. gaslighting. Yes. Of course, these groups are brilliant. They do it. That's the entire belief system in a way is one big gaslighting. Yeah. We're perfect yeah. and we're all going to heaven and the rest of the world is terrible. Yes, and we've got it's it right. True. It's a lie. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, some Sorry, Ross. Whether or not something? you believe in heaven, that's ir- that's regardless of that. You know, I'm not talking yeah. about religious thing. Yeah. No. no. I, I just wanted to highlight it really because, you know, there are people in there that are being told that mm. um, just to know that it isn't actually true. Terrible thing to do to people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes away their liberties, and and I think the thing is, if you know, if you have your physical liberties taken away, that is a bit like that's very easy to prove, isn't it? If somebody's physically locked up, and that's very easy to prove. But when you have your psychological liberties taken away, your freedom of thought, which is in the Human Rights Act, and that's taken away from you. Um, and I think the sad thing is, people don't always realise it until they start to think clearly or they step aside but that's not easy um yeah i talk about that what cults do when i was talking before about the dissociation and that you can't yeah. think about what your own experience is they're disabling your critical thinking yeah they're de- and yeah. that's deliberate that's not by accident that's a deliberate yeah. set of all the things we've talked about the isolation the fear and all those things hmm. Um, is to disable your ability to think. So they're doing it on purpose. Mm. That is a wicked thing to do to people. Yeah, um, in whatever context, religious, yeah. political, any context. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, And the other factor I think about cults, um, one of the characteristics I read sometimes is that these groups make it difficult, if not impossible, for you to leave. And one of the main things, if you were thinking of joining a group, or indeed if you were born into a group, if you said, is it easy for me to walk away? Do I have freedom to walk away? And if you haven't got that, I think there is a question. Is that a fair comment of a yes to say? Yeah. It's what I call the difference between a closed network, or what Lalich yes. calls a self-sealing system, which is just tight and closed, versus... Yes kind of open network where yeah. it's not so open you don't know anyone you know you have your friends yeah. family and then you have some acquaintances and then you have maybe work colleagues you know yeah. but it's sort of open there's some flexibility not everyone belongs to the same claustrophobic yeah. little bubble there's overlaps with other things you think that's in- an- and that meet that openness means you can change things you can say well i don't get on with this group anymore i mean this happened to me recently you know mm. i joined the labor party a few years ago and now and then i resigned from the labor party because i didn't mm. like things now again i mm. don't know what anyone's political opinions are this is just my this is yeah. me mm. and when i left the labor party no one came running after me i didn't lose all my friends and family yeah. i still will say hello to the nice guy who still is in the labor party on my block mm. you know and I le- I met a few new people. I didn't lose friends when I got in. I didn't lose friends when I got out. Yeah. You know, it was a, even though I had disagreements with them, that was okay. Yeah. 
yeah. I might even rejoin it at some time if they. Yeah, exactly. And on the religious side, the brethren claim to be a ma- like a mainstream Christian church. But I think that's the one fundamental difference. You could live in a very close-knit community. Let's use an example. You could go to a Methodist church where you feel very close to the people you go to church with. But you work outside the church. You have other people on the fringes. Your family may not go to that church. That doesn't matter. And then you may move to a different part of the country and you might join a Church of England church. And that doesn't matter because you're you're keeping whatever faith or whatever, in your case, political affiliation you want. But you're choosing how you practice that. And when you take away that choice of practice, that's when it becomes dangerous, damaging. When you leave the Methodist church when you move, yeah. it's not all going to never speak to you again. No. When you come back there, you yeah. may have tea with them and cake. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and that's, I think, is the fundamental difference between, yeah. as you say, a closed group. Yeah. Um, and I would just want to say to the brethren, if you are listening to this podcast, try and recognise the group, which group you're in. Is it that open group that you could walk away from and go back um, and feel free in your mind? Or is it, what did you call it, Alex? The uh, your, self-sealing. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> It's a nice expression, a bubble, that self-sealing bubble. Yeah, that you cannot break out of. Um, and I think that'd be a good question to ask. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, a, a healthy group doesn't shun people. No. It, no. You know, you might even be cross for a while. You know, yeah. I don't know what the Labour Party thinks of me. They probably didn't even notice I was gone, frankly. But, you know, no. It's like, yeah, it's a political disagreement. That's the beginning and end of it. And people yeah. in the Labour Party might also be friends with people in the Lib Dems. Yeah. I'm yeah. friends with people who are Greens, even yeah. though I don't want to personally vote Green. Yeah. Friends with others. You know, it's like you're yeah. allowed to have all these crossovers. And that's, yeah. it's healthy. It's like if you think of a compost pile. If you yeah. only have one thing in the compost pile, it's not very nutrition good. You know, you have to have a variety of ingredients for it to be yeah. nice and to healthy. actually thrive and grow. And yeah, that's good analogy for humans. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And one other thing I wanted to touch on just before we close, Alex. Um, in your book, you mentioned I think it was attachment levels and and the difficulty of I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Can you talk a little bit around that and what they mean and how they form so um there was a wonderful scholar called john bowlby and he came up with this idea and other people have taken it forward and it's mm. very basic now in psychology thinking about psychology um so the first idea is that the same way we have needs for, we have basic human needs. We need food, we need shelter to reproduce, we have to have sex. You know, there are these fundamental mm-hmm. elements. And one of them, he said, is we need to have attachment to others for the purpose of protection. And that, okay. on an evolutionary basis, is if the parent and child weren't attached, in other words, they had a strong bond and want to stay together, if they just was kind of and yeah. the baby was left behind, the baby would get chewed up by the lions. And mm. you know, it wouldn't, it's not good for the evolution, the survival of the species. So when people are, have these strong bonds, 
that protects us from dangerous things. Mm. So, but that also, so in childhood, we have that with parents, although cults try to break that, mm. by the way, as I said. But in there's the kind of healthiest sort of form of attachment is called secure attachment. Is this what you wanted me to do, Jack? Yes, yes. <laughs> I read about it in your book. So okay. yeah. it's really interesting. It really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it could be between a parent, a child, or it could be, say, between partners, you know, any very strong or even your very best friend. It's those mm. very strongest relationships. And one, so to try to understand it, you have one, let's say the parent and child, because that's the easy way to think about it. Mm. So the parent's job is to protect the child. The child's job is to stay close or to know that the parent's going to protect them. Mm. So when the child is, let's say, a toddler playing in the playground, they're in their exploratory mode, out playing happy. They can look and see that mummy or daddy's there, but they're basically out playing. But then they fall down, they hurt their knee. So they're experiencing stress or fear or some bully comes up to them or a dog comes and barks. There's some mm. stress and they go running to their parent, right, knowing that the parent's there to protect them. Mm. And the parent looks after them and says, it's all right for a few minutes. And then eventually the kid goes, all right, enough, mum. I want to go back and play. So that's mm. like this rubber band effect of mm. exploring, but when stress go back for some comfort, and then go and explore again. And that's happening in the body with chemicals. So the exploring is all about cortisols and the kind of energy and excitement hormones mm. and the fear ones when the dog comes and barks, the, cortisol, the cortisols go, Ooh, <laughs> back to mom or dad. The cuddling and the comfort of a good relationship brings up what's called your in, endogenous, your internal opioids, mm. which bring down your cortisols and make you mm. feel safe. Mm. And when you've had a certain amount of safety, it's like, that's good enough. I want to go out, have some excitement again. So that's the kind of healthy mm. dynamic. There are other two others that are good enough. They're not perfect, but they're good enough. One is when you have the protect. So that, that protector, that parent, mm. is available to you in a sensitive way. Mm. If you have a parent who's pretty into their own problems, they've got a mm. lot of problems they're dealing with, but they, they're going to be unreliable. But there's sometimes when you go to them, they're going to look after you, and sometimes they're too busy thinking about their own problems. Mm. So that means you get a kid often who's a bit clingy because they want to be there when that availability is there, when mum right. or dad has the capacity to look mm. after them. So that's one version called, the first one was called secure attachment. That one's called preoccupied. Mm. The third one is called dismissing, and that's when the parent has been reliably neglect neglectful or rejecting. Mm. So you know there's no point going to mum or dad because they just are not there for you. So mm. that makes a child or a grown-up, you know, it's just using the child as illustration, very overly self-reliant. 
I'm not going to go to mom and dad. They're not going to be comforting. So I'm just going to take care of myself. So those last two aren't the best, but they're good enough because they're predictable. Mm. You know that this one's going to be a bit unreliable. You know that that one isn't ever going to be there for you. So you can kind of manage yourself. Mm. But the tricky one is the one that happens in cults, number four, <laughs> and that's called disorganized attachment. And that happens when the parent or the supposed comforter is the source of the stress. So instead of the barking dog, you've got the frightening parent. Mm. So in between that relationship, you have rah, rah, the fear. Mm. And that is massively confusing because what happens, the parent you're evolved, your body is evolved to go when you're frightened to the parent. But when the parent frightens you, you go towards them for comfort, but they're shouting at you or they're frightening you. So you're also trying to avoid them. So you're trapped in trying to go and trying to get away. Mm -hmm. This kind of approach avoid. And you get these pictures, they've done studies where they show you these little toddlers in those kind of relationships. They do all this weird, like, what, when they approach their parent. They, right, they, yeah. They go towards them and then they back up or they sort of turn their back and then mm. they don't know what to do. There's a kind mm. of paralysis. Mm. So in my book, I say that I think this is the relationship that cults make between the group and the follower. Because mm. the cult is the benevolent, we love you, we're the best thing since sliced bread, we're heaven on earth, whatever, whatever. Mm. But you leave us or you do something wrong and you're going to burn in hell forever. Yeah. Mm. And it's always, you don't know, it's unpredictable. You never know when you get out of bed in the morning, mm. which it's going to be. So you have no organized strategy to manage. You're always unbalanced kind of yeah. and yeah. that creates dissociation because what i've just described is really a trauma relationship because mm. if you go towards it it's more frightening if you go away from it that's frightening so you're in this chronic over uh anxious frightened state of tension <laughs> yeah state of tension for all your life if you're born into yeah. a gun, yeah. you know, and yeah. so that's what's called disorganized attachment or a trauma bond is another word for it. Mm. And it's not that you're like that, it's that the situation made yeah. that relationship with the group like that. And yeah. so now if we're lucky, you know, you may have a parent in the group who is really a loving parent who tries their hardest despite the cult to find mm. ways to give you safety. And some people aren't lucky, you know. But mm. the group is always trying to prevent that. They don't want you mm. to have any safety with anybody because mm. if you have safety with someone else, you're going to experience safety and realize the group isn't safe. Mm. And you're going to get out. <laughs> And in yeah. fact, that's the way a lot of people do get out is they, that was a bit what happened in my group. You know, that woman mm. confided in me. I felt safe with her. Yeah. It provided a way out. Or you might find someone outside the group who you feel safe with. Mm. 
and that's a way out. There's mm. other ways out too, but um, so I hope I described that. No, you described it really well, Alex. And <laughs> it, it's fascinating because I don't know if Ross and Anne, you're trying to identify what you're explaining with our own experiences. And I think it totally sums it up because you've got the fear of the unknown, which is the world outside you've been told is wicked for a brethren, somebody inside the brethren. But once you start to show some sort of questioning or dissent, or let's say, oh, oh, hello, there's your dog. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, or you say, you know, you start to question or you start to have doubts. And you then have, on the other hand, the unpredictability of what the powers in the brethren may do as a result of you having, would, would that be fair, do you think, Anne, trying to relate it, you know, the unpredictability of what the priests might do when they come and visit you, you know, yeah. what will, will they kick you out your parents' home, as in your case, Ross? Will they take your children from you, as in your case, Anne? That, there's that huge, scary unpredictability. So you are, you're on a tightrope, aren't you? Absolutely. And meanwhile, they're telling you they are safe and good, and they're the only safe yeah. place. Yeah. So it's crazy making because yeah. you're, it's opposite to your actual experience. And this is why the isolation is so important, because if, if they don't isolate you from other nice, safe attachments, you mm -hmm. have a way out. I guess I already said that. So to make mm -hmm. it work and keep you in that state, they have to prevent that. Yeah. Yeah, and keep you isolated. Yeah. Can, I, yeah. can I ask you, Alex, um, can we heal from this trauma? Yes. yes. <laughs> Great question, Anne. <laughs> it is a really good question, but the guy, the marvellous um, psychologist John Bowlby, always said that. He said that one's attachment status is malleable throughout life, and if you later have safe and secure attachments or more or better attachments you get more securely attached yourself but yeah. the same way like someone like me who was well i had complicated attachment status but it can go in the other direction too so you may start securely attached but then get into a cult and get into this mm. disorganized attachment but mm. if and i know for myself because after I got out of the cult, I made really good friendships and I had a couple of good relationships and I've got a nice dog now. I have to learn. You can learn what security of attachment is. And yeah. I, I learned that. And, you know, I learned, for instance, that I could fight with a girlfriend and then repair it. They, they call it the repair yeah. of communication. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mm. know that. I thought if you had a fight with someone, that was it. Yeah, the friendship I, was over. But yeah. No. I, now I know at the ripe old age of 69, you can fix things. Not always. You can't always yeah. fix things. But some. But you can fix a lot of things. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, Sorry. That's, yeah. So, yes, you can. But, yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, our early experiences certainly – shape us so it's more difficult mm. if had those yeah when you've had you've had 44 years <laughs> yeah yeah but it's it's interesting what you say about um you know if you have a disagreement you think that's the end and yeah this is something that i'm only learning now in my relationships i think i've often run away 
because I can't cope with the conflict. Mm. And, and I don't, mm. yeah, I haven't understood until the relationship I'm in now that there is a way to work through that in a healthy manner. It's not unhealthy. Um, yeah. Well, that gives me gives me hope that there is healing. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. And like yourself, Anne, um, I still, I, I avoid conflict wherever I can. Uh, you know, it's just my safety mechanism is to you know, just avoid conflict, avoid conflict. If there's something going on, I'll chicken out and, you know, just leave it be sort of thing rather than try and sort it out. <laughs> I don't like conflict either, I have to be honest. I think very few people do like it, but you learn to manage it, I think. You can learn to realise actually conflict, if it's managed rightly, can be healthy. Mm -hmm. um, if you're respectful and, as you say, you you, you, you can work through it. Um, no, Alex, it's been... Sorry, oh, well, just I'm going to say, I think one of the things I've learned is especially with one's friends, usually mm. people aren't trying to hurt you. It's usually no. misunderstanding. No. Yeah. That's what the working through is. Yes. Yeah, uh, they haven't set out to upset yeah. you. Yeah, no. unlike in a cult where they are setting out as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's the modus operandi. Yeah. yeah. It's been absolutely fascinating, Alex. I, I do just have one more question to pick up yeah. on, so if that's okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not too long. No, you no. mentioned earlier about um, cults being very hard to reform mm. and usually will dismantle. And I'm thinking of the brethren because I always live in hope that they may reform and be how they were 60 years ago, quite extreme, but not quite as harmful. Um, it may be that could never be the case. I don't know what your opinions were on, I mean, what happens to cults? I know some dissolve um, and how, how, how it can end. Well, yeah, some dissolve. Um some implode from the inside when there's enough of a rebellion mm. i i don't know that i've seen i could that i can bring up examples of ones that have reformed yeah i mean i just did a nice study not nice it was really traumatic but uh, interesting <laughs> study of kids who grew up adult children now but who grew up in this kundalini yoga group uh three happy healthy holy Three eight, okay. none yeah. of it was. Um, you know, who had terrible childhoods and then everything. And they, the leader died, and then there was a whole and all this abuse stories came out from about the leader. And they've been actually doing a reparations thing for the women who were abused, and now for the children who were sent to these terrible boarding schools. So the organization hasn't got its lead, leader anymore, and they are kind of giving money to the abuse victims mm. but they're still doing so many of the same things yeah yeah Even though that main leader is gone they're still sending kids to horrible boarding schools and they're still claiming you know that all these crazy endless meditations are magical and mm. <clears throat> i don't know i can't so how do you how do you unpick it all you know how do you yeah. get people living with shared drains again <laughs> you know how do you get people eating with other people again how do you 
help people think critically again. Mm. I mean, they're doing this, and this is something you could look at with the Fundamentalist Church of Latter Day Saints. Yes, you know, those in in Arizona and Utah who mm. wear the long pastel colored dresses and the yes, I know of them. Mm. Now he their leader went to prison for life. Mm. Mm. There's a woman, or well, several people who are working with these loads of women and children because that was a polygamous group. And it was big, mm. there were thousands of them, um, to kind of try to manage without the leader. And I don't know how they're doing exactly, but a lot of them are still wearing the funny dresses. And and does that all stem from the brainwashing, do you think? Yes, I do think so. It's like mm. unless you go out of that bubble, if you're still in the bubble, maybe that's what it is, Jackie. Now, I mean, I'm sort of thinking yeah. out loud because I haven't. Yes. If you can't break the bubble, you're sort of still in the bubble. So, and mm. if you break the bubble, it's not the same organization. Yeah. Because now you can go to the tennis club, you can join the Labour Party, you can join the Conservatives if you of that mind. Mm. Um, it just, I don't know how it would work. Yeah. That's for you to think about because you know you're that group, you know. Yeah, it, it's um, something I've thought about a lot. Where is it going yeah. to end up? One thing we all know for sure is we want to stop the harm they're doing and yeah. we want to try and reunite families. But, it, it, you know, the Brethren did have a day. Um, I mean, my mother joined them in the mid-50s from outside and it was nothing like it is today. Yeah. And it, she'd been in it sort of several years before she had to say to her mother, who was never in it, I can't have anything to do with you. So there was a time when they didn't have this, they've always had separation, but they didn't have this extreme separation that just rips families apart. But whether it's ever possible to go back to that, I I couldn't possibly hazard a guess. I'd like to think so. I mean, I suppose you have to think about which bits are, do they keep? You know, is it the hymns? I don't know. Yeah. Do they have hymns? You know. Yes, um, they do. <laughs> I always liked hymns myself. Even yeah, some of them are very nice. <laughs> you know, there's so much. It's almost like when you get out, you have to unpick all this yeah. and have to decide which bits do you want to keep. Like, you know, I kept my – I mean, they're different, but I kept my feelings of wanting to do social justice stuff. Yes. Yeah. It took me a few years to get to that. It didn't happen overnight. But, you know, mm. I got rid of a lot of other things, like overworking mm. and, you know, mm. being rigid and all. So it's, I think it might be the same with an organization. Can the organization unpick those things? Mm. Yeah. Mm. But I, I don't exactly have an answer. No. No, it's quite a fascinating discussion. But, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And the last question I wanted to ask, unless Watson and Anne wanted to ask anything, we hope we know people inside the Brethren watch these podcasts. We hope they watch this one because I think it will give them a superb insight above and beyond their own world and above and beyond the ex-Brethren world as well. Um, what would you say to anybody who is in the Brethren with a huge... I suppose, cognitive dissonance at the moment where they've got this yo-yo in their head. Sorry, I just lost the end of that. I was asking what, what, what would you say as a perhaps slightly more impartial person than an ex-Brethren member to anybody in who's got this sort of 
dissonance at the moment where they're unhappy. They're mm. on that precipice between the fear on one side and the fear on the other side. Mm. Is there any advice uh, you could give? Or? Well, I'd say, first of all, try to start trusting your own feelings about your yeah. own experience. Nobody has your experience other than you. It's, you know, we are each. So that would be one thing, which is mm -hmm. difficult when you're inside a group. But yeah. your experience is valid and you can name it. And the other thing I think I would say is, which we've talked about a bit, do a bit of connecting outside the group, either by research or talking to a somebody at the shops <laughs> you know any, yes. any way of reaching even in these little ways outside your bubble and then the third thing is just to say even though the transition is not necessarily easy there's so much to enjoy and so much of value in the outside world when you have your own freedom of thinking and freedom to make choices about the world and you know there's a lot of good out here the difficulty too it's not heaven on earth <laughs> but mm. there's a lot of interesting and colorful experiences and yeah to have so i think that's what i would say but it, i think that's sucks. really helpful yeah it's really helpful it's a bit like i say i sometimes say to anyone that contacts me that um, you, when you come out, you have to make your own decisions mm -hmm. and you might not always make the right ones or good ones, but that's okay because they're your decisions. And it can be they're difficult at first to make decisions. I it's know I very difficult because you're not used to it, are you? <laughs> and, yeah. But there is also increasingly, like all of us here and many others, there are people who will help you. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be alone anymore when you get yeah. out. There are places yeah. to go and yeah. people to help you. Yeah. So. And and not necessarily ex-brethren if you feel right. a little bit fearful of them because of what you've been told about them. <laughs> right. you can contact the Family Survival Trust and we'll yeah. talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Alex, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been absolutely fascinating and I think we've covered quite a lot, um, which has been great. We will put the link to the Family Survival Trust. And obviously, there's the Olive Leaf Network in New Zealand as well that's doing similar work. And we'll also put the link to the report um, that the Family Survival Trust do, because I think it's a very interesting read. But we really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you. It was nice to meet both Anne and Ross. I already know Jackie. And that's yeah. so many wonderful people when you get out who you so <laughs> thank you, Alex. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. If you are in a high demand religious group and need help, please go to alloveleaf.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video, subscribe to get a life and comment.